Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's up, you guys? Sean Ross Sapp here. We had some technical errors on the prior stream, so I want to apologize for that. We are here with the Fightful.com podcast for July 22nd. We're talking UFC Long Island. UFC on Fox, UFC Fight Night, whatever the hell they want to call it. There are a million names for this show. WWE Battleground coverage tomorrow night as well as a post-show podcast. Also, we've got G1 Climax coverage every single night that that's live. I've been catching all those shows. Very good stuff. Some great storytelling on those programs as well. Head over to Fightful.com. We have a story on the death of Daryl from New Japan. Is best I can explain it. Uh, Frank Trigg talking about the UFC Oklahoma City controversy. Elias Theodoro explaining his last loss. The Fightful Boxing Rankings and the newsletter. All kinds of good stuff over there. And, of course, the forums over at Fightful.com. Right now, some of the top, uh, subjects include battleground previews and predictions. Shawn Michaels' birthday. Talking about these WWE fashion dolls. The Valerian movie review. we got all kinds of stuff over there. But we got UFC Fight Night. Long Island to talk about now. Thought it was a pretty good show, honestly, all things considered. Chris Weidman needed that win real bad. Real bad. Uh, four losses in a row is really tough to recover from. Andre Arlovsky did to a degree, but a, a big part of that was him being in the heavyweight division and everybody kind of knowing that in the heavyweight division, anything can happen. That You don't necessarily get that same slack in the middleweight division, even though it's uh, really thin, at least as far as marquee names are concerned. But Chris Weidman, the number five guy, beating Kelvin Gastelum, and this, I think, posed a lot of questions and answered a lot of questions. Uh, Chris Weidman isn't done. That's certainly the case. Also, how far can Kelvin Gastelum get in this division? Fortunately for him, there aren't a lot of really overpowering wrestlers in this division that would give him that kind of trouble, which he has had some trouble with uh, defending the takedown in the past, which is kind of ironic since he he wrestles quite a bit himself. But the thing is, is what is an overpowering wrestler to Kelvin Gastelum at 185 pounds? Because it certainly takes less skill than it would have at 170 to overpower a Kelvin Gastelum. Either way, I thought that well, uh, Weidman's wrestling was beautiful. 
there aren't many better at switching from the body lock down to the double leg than Chris Weidman and how he did it in this fight and how he chained those together was, was beauty. It was absolute beauty. The way that he did it is, is just such a natural motion for him. Uh, It was very good. He was able to apply like the body lock, but be outside uh, in order to push Gastelum up against the cage without eating any knees from Gastelum. And against a smaller guy, a shorter guy like Gastelum, you got to worry about those knees. And Wyvin didn't. He wasn't that concerned about it. it. It was almost heartbreaking to see Gastelum trying to defend those takedowns, knowing that he couldn't. He, you could see that he wanted to grab the cage and he wanted to grab the tops of the cage. But Big John McCarthy was very good in saying, "Don't do it, don't do it." And uh, I got to say, hats off to Gastelum also for not doing it because a lot of people just out of instinct will grab those cages, will grab the top of the cage. So uh, it's 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 going to be a tough road for for Kelvin Gastelum at middleweight. I think even a guy like Dave Branch, like you wonder what he could do against a Kelvin Gastelum with his grappling background. Now, David Branch is is not an outstanding wrestler by any means, but he can smother you, he can control you from the bottom, and he's a much bigger dude than a Kelvin Gastelum. So so who Kelvin Gastelum faces next is going to pose. A very big question, like a Jacare Souza. A similar situation where it's an older guy, but we've seen what he can do on the ground. Maybe Gasolum gets an Anderson Silva. I think that he probably would find a way to beat an Anderson Silva. There are guys like Luke Rockhold. Don't know if he'll get one of these top names. I would imagine maybe Weidman and Rockhold lock up next. Weidman wants Bisping. That ain't going to happen because... If well, you know, actually, it might because uh, Robert Whitaker might be out until 2018. I don't know if you all saw that report. He's he's got an injury. He's sidelined for for quite a while, and he and Whitaker fully expects Bisping to fight somebody else. And since GSP is allegedly off the table for Bisping, Weidman could slide right in there because Rockhold hasn't fought since that loss. Jacare is coming off of a loss. Chris Weidman's the number five guy. There's a real possibility that could happen. And we saw the call out. Very smart of Weidman to do that because now Bisping's going to have Weidman's name in his mouth and vice versa. So if the UFC wants to add a little something, that could be it. But Chris Weidman probably wins that fight. Now let's talk about Chris Weidman getting seated, just seated in midair. If you didn't see the knockdown that Kelvin Gastelum landed on Chris Weidman, it is something to behold. Like, it's like Weidman took a bump in wrestling, but it's a new bump. It's not like a back bump or a flip bump or a front bump or even a side bump. It was an ass bump. He just went midair, bam, flat on his ass up against the cage. He said that he was out. He said it was a flash knockout. He came to. First time that's ever happened to him. He said it was the first time that, that he's he's been sat down as well. So, that that's pretty impressive, and the the reach advantage was something that Gastelum really had to overcome, and was able to do here and there. He was able to land a pretty good shot, but ultimately it was it was that was Weidman able to land that jab on the outside. He did like the old Leono Machida trick where you hold on to the hand and you kind of flip the the lead hand away in order to do that. Leono Machida used to do that to uh, righties when he was a southpaw because their same lead hand would be out. Like So if, if Machida's right hand was his lead hand, then, then the right righty's left hand would be the lead hand. 
and he would be able to uh, like flip it away and then throw an elbow and catch him inside. And, and that's the type of thing that Chris Weidman was doing. So also th- this choke that, that Weidman, man, Weidman is, he's fantastic at chokes. Like, and that's something, that's a Sarah Longo thing. Fantastic head and arm choke. The arm triangle choke is my favorite of all time since since I saw it uh, from Martin Campman. And it's as simple to apply as it looks. You cut off one carotid artery while the opponent's arm cuts off their own other carotid artery. It's a pretty unique choke. Then you, you can walk your body like a clock. You can move and, and sort of like hip your way over and, and gain control if you just want just to make them suffer. It was a very impressive win for for Weidman, and not only did he get the get the win, he got the finish. And it's it's crazy to think. It seems like it's been longer than two years since Weidman won, but Vitor Belfort was his last win. And this is a guy who, before that, had never been beaten. And the most trouble we uh, we've seen him do things like he he's beaten a little bit of everybody, like Damian Maya, who's competing for a one hundred and seventy pound championship. He obviously Weidman won the one hundred and eighty five pound championship. He beat two former light heavyweight champions in Machida and Belfort. So it's a guy whose resume can't be understated. And a lot of people would always point to the luck thing. They said, well, Anderson Silva was clowning around in the first fight. And he broke his leg in the second fight. While I don't think that was as offensive a check as Weidman would have you believe, I don't think he was losing that fight at that, at that stage. The first fight, yeah, I think maybe Silva could have could have stuck around in that fight, but big win for Weidman, emotional, his family. Were, you could tell how much it meant to them, and it needed to, and it probably meant a lot to the UFC too. That was that was uh, a big win for them as well because I thought that if Weidman didn't win here, I didn't think he was going to give it up, but I thought maybe he would make a go at hundred or 205 pounds. Kelvin Gastelum is probably going to try to fight at 170 pounds. I just think he will because he, he's often said that, that he wants to, to give that another shot. So we probably see that again. Darren Elkins versus Dennis Bermudez. Darren Elkins. Also, guys, submit your questions over on Fightful.com or in the YouTube chat. Subscribe. Leave us a thumbs up. That stuff really helps. Let people know that you're watching this show. Darren Elkins versus Bermudez. Elkins' stand-up isn't good, but it has improved significantly, especially since like he considered retirement. And a lot of times you'll hear me or Joe say, if somebody's got one foot out the door, it's usually a bad sign. That doesn't seem to be the case anymore. We've seen a lot of guys who do have or have had a foot out the door do remarkably well in their, their subsequent career that, that, that followed. Elkins has never been a guy that, finishes consistently in the UFC and that's going to keep him off of a lot of or keep him out of a lot of big fights I think but for a guy that almost called it quits and moved his family across country with the full support of his wife his wife was like yeah we can do this let's do this let's let's give this a shot and it's it's just it's impressive the way that he was able to do that now I thought that the the reach advantage would be a problem for Benavidez or not Benavidez, Bermudez. Bermudez was really good at getting the clinch, and then when he separated, landing those shots. So that way, the reach wasn't as much of a factor. So that was that was quite impressive as well. Also, Bermudez just standing up out of Elkins having his back after Elkins had that body lock and chained a bunch of body lock takedowns. 
really good stuff. I thought Elkins won the first two rounds. Uh, wasn't much on the split, but hey, if I saw it one way, well, I, I could, I kind of did see them. It's like you know, if if in your head you say one person wins, uh, some people will be like, well, why are you saying it's going to be a split decision? Because we all know how these judges are. We all know how a lot of judges are, and we all know how New York is. Zong or wonky stuff always happens in New York. Cummins versus Volante. Um, it's another decision I wasn't quite sure about, but hell with it because Patrick Cummins impressed me. The old scouting report on Patrick Cummins was punch him in the face and you beaten him. It's pretty much all it took, and at least at the UFC level. If you like, I, I mentioned this the other day when when he got scheduled to face Cormier, and it was that last minute replacement. You found you find the footage of Cummins' first fight, and he fought this dude who was really out of shape, and the dude hurt him with one punch. Like it was, and you can see that's his Achilles' heel, and it always has been. And then he went and worked with Antonio Tarver, and apparently that's helped a little bit. His stand up isn't good, his defense isn't good, but it's better. It's it's a little bit like the Elkin situation, but on a, on a much smaller scale. And I thought Volante was going to finish him in the first round, especially after he punched Cummins in the face, because that's. That tends to be all that it takes to uh, finish Cummins off, but Cummins stuck around. He made it a messy fight, which seemed to be a common theme on this fight show or this fight card. And you get a top ten uh, or top fifteen light heavyweight winning again. So, really, anything below that, like seven or six-ish area, it's like, well, you put any of them up against each other and they're probably going to win, win-loss, win-loss, win-loss. But a good win for Patrick Cummins, a bummer for Volante to lose so close to home. Uh, Rivera versus Almeida. This is a battle of two guys the UFC thinks a lot of. Almeida gets dropped as is tradition pretty early on. Almeida is a lot like Aljamain Sterling to me in that he got really far on potential, but... Now he's 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 experiencing some difficulties. He seems to have trouble with his reaction time. Also, we got to see Rivera land some of the knees that would have been illegal in other states that have not adopted the the new rules, but they were clean, and that's a big win for Rivera. Like Rivera's got to be, he's got to be given a, a pretty decent name at this stage, I would think. Because he's coming off of wins over Almeida, Faber, Alcantara, Munoz, and the Brimage one, we'll just let that go. But he had he had a finish over Brimage, so that's pretty impressive. So it, it it's hard to say who he'll get next because of the scheduling in this division. Dominic Cruz doesn't seem to want to fight until he gets the title shot. Uh, who knows? TJ Dillashaw, maybe maybe a Sun Sal is there. Caraway is you. It, scheduling bantamweights is really hard because they get hurt and they don't want to fight. It's just, it's a never, never ending carousel and Cody Garbrandt's hurt. Um, John Lineker would be a guy that I would love to see um, a Jimmy Rivera fight. I think that would be a hell of a hell of a battle, but some of these guys just got to fight, man. Like Brian Caraway hasn't fought in a year. Uh, Lineker hasn't fought since December. Dillashaw hasn't fought since December, since he beat Lineker. It's, it's, it happens all the time. Uh, Garbrandt hasn't fought since his win. 
And then you got a Sunsau who might be on the schedule. That that might be best because the Sunsau beat technically beat Marlon Marias and beat Aljamain Sterling too. That Marias victory though, iffy, iffy. But yeah, Jimmy Jimmy Rivera looking real good. He is his one loss was like a catch weight at 150 pounds and was a split decision loss at that. And he did lose to Dennis Bermudez on tough like years and years and years ago, but. As we see, he was far from a finished product six years ago. He was like 21, 22 years old. So, yeah, uh, and Jordan Lane says, Dillashaw waiting for Cody. Uh, hopefully Cody is healed up soon. Yeah, Cody's saying like November. So, yeah. But Cruz, it's like, man, fight. Fight somebody. Help keep this division going. Because if you keep this division going, it's going to be a hot division. But you can't just, well, I, I'm going to just sit out until I get a title fight. You just lost the title, man. Unfortunately, I know it sucks because before that you hadn't lost a fight in years and years and years. But you got to stay active, man. you got to do it. I would prefer TJ Dillashaw, who is, who is actually coming off of a couple of wins to get that, that shot at Garbrandt. Plus, they... They were supposed to fight. Supposed to fight. Dos Santos defeated Lyman Good. This was funny because it's one of those cards where it's a split decision, but the guy who won got two 30-27s. Beating Lyman Good is very underrated in any aspect because he was 19-3 with a no, one no contest heading in. Lyman Good seems to have trouble winning big fights. So I'm not saying this was a big fight. Any fight in the UFC is a big fight, but – but he lost to Askren. He lost to Koreshkov. He lost his fight to get into the tough house. And you could say that those are all pretty big fights, title fights or fights that have major career implications. So that, that's a bummer for Lyman Good. Like I, I remember back in the Bellator days, I believe they said that he slept in the cage and stuff like that to get himself accustomed, like all kinds of weird shit you would hear about back then. But uh, Lyman Good was a guy who came off of six straight fights where where he didn't lose and beat Andrew Craig in his debut, but but hadn't fought in two years, and that's like you get in the UFC and then you can't you, you hadn't fought in two years because the USADA situation and you, you got pulled from a fight in 2015, and then he was a short notice replacement even before that, for the, the Andrew Craig fight. So this was his first real fight with with a full fight camp. Dos Santos, that's somebody that uh, his record doesn't indicate how good he is. Seven and one in his last eight fights, but started his career like like 10 and four, but fought some good dudes. Like he fought like Viscardi, Andrade, he fought a guy who's in Bellator now. I can't remember. God, I can't remember his name. But that's somebody to, to keep your eye on. Three and one in the UFC. I'm sure they would uh, like to see him regain his finishing form, though. Eric Anders has the the finishing form. Also, he has a nickname, Ya Boy. Hmm. Hmm. I guess I, I guess I won't kick his ass and take the nickname back. I'll, I'll let him use it. He was a high level football player, and that seems to have translated well. He's an 8-0 pro MMA fighter, but he fought he's fought like 30 times since 2012, including 
his amateur fights. That's a lot, man. So he's getting at it. Like he went from one career right to the other and hasn't slowed down. He's 29 years old right now, I believe. So uh, he did the smart thing. He's already fought for Bellator. He's fought for LFA and made his uh, UFC debut. And he did this uh, like as, as a late replacement as well against Natal, who has – this is his third straight loss in a row, and either they'll put him on a Brazil card or they'll cut him. But he's – I don't want to say he's an OG. He's been around for about 12 years, but he's been around in the UFC for, for seven years now. Like Natal is a guy that – Eric Anders, he had to beat if he was going to cut the mustard in the UFC. And boy, did he. He put him, he put him to bed. He put, or Anders put uh, Sapo to bed. Mm. Good debut. That's the kind of debut that people want, that, that the UFC wants out of their fighters. They, they want guys to make do highlight reel knockouts that UFC on Fox can show over and over again, that the Crimson Tide can post on their Twitter and say, Oh, hey, remember uh, Eric Anders? Well, he knocked a dude out cold on, on Fox Sports 1. You should probably give him, uh, give him a glance. He, he also played – or he signed a deal with the Cleveland Browns back in the day. I don't think he ever fought for them, though. LaFlair versus Cowboy Oliveira. This I thought was going to be – I thought this fight and the Cummins versus Volante fight were going to look exactly the same. But we ended up getting both of those fights into one here because LaFleur. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done. He had a streak of like seven straight decisions, but he was six and one. And he, he was smothering cowboy and road cowboy to make a, a shitty, shitty pun. But then Oliveira stood up and landed a picture perfect uppercut that put LaFlair asleep. One loss in nine fights for Cowboy, five unbeaten in a row for, for Cowboy. He had a no contest there somewhere. I got to believe this was the result that the UFC wanted because Ryan LaFlair, as popular as he was in the area, you got to think he's not getting a lot of people to turn on their TVs. No offense to him, but he's not. He's not getting a lot of people to say, damn, I got to watch that Ryan LaFlair fight. Cowboy Oliveira isn't like a big name, but he's getting a name about him. He had the win over Will Brooks. He he main evented a show against Donald Cerrone. So a few people know who he is. And he has been very, very successful at welterweight. He's been very successful everywhere. Uh, 165, 155, 170. He just couldn't make the 155 anymore. He's an exciting guy to watch. 29 years old. You, I, I could see him getting uh, headlining a Brazil card as well. I could see that happening pretty soon. Chase Sherman, he did not look like the guy that we saw between August and January. Training with uh, Jackson MMA seems to help. He used those leg kicks really well. Grabowski would land the occasional overhand, but 
I don't think was ever a real threat to Chase Sherman. UFC missed a real opportunity here not giving Chase Sherman a microphone. If you don't follow Chase Sherman on Twitter, I would recommend that any of you do it. He is a very colorful guy. Guy I wouldn't mind having on a show sometime. That'd be somebody interesting to talk to. He, it's it's good to see him. Like he he lost two in a row, and he saw the changes that he needed to make. Or he, I don't know if he saw the changes he needed to make, but he saw that he needed to make changes. So shout out to him for doing that. That's going to be uh, a guy to look out for. At twenty seven years old, the thing is, had he lost tonight, a twenty seven year old heavyweight. A 27-year-old athletic heavyweight, a guy who uh, I think he played some D2 ball as well. 4-0 as an amateur, came into MMA and did very well. His only loss uh, before the UFC was Alex Nicholson, who we we now know uh, in the UFC. But he isn't even the best heavyweight story that I want to talk about. God, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. Uh, Junior or Junior Albini beat a top 15 heavyweight in Timothy Johnson. Now, you can just shrug your shoulders and say, heavyweight MMA. And that may be the case, but the story of this guy. He has never been able to buy his two-year-old daughter gifts before, and because, and it said that she plays with empty shampoo bottles. That's, That's heartbreaking, man. That's heartbreaking. Even more heartbreaking when he told reporters backstage that tonight he made more money than he's ever made in his entire life. And for his last nine fights, he's never made a dime. Never made a dime. Well, for one, that's really sad. Because he was a 13-1 and MMA fighter. I know that he's had trouble getting people to even fight him. Like he had um, a fight last June canceled, a fight last May canceled, a fight December 15, September 15. August 15, or August of 15, uh, April of 15, November of 2014, May of 2014, uh, two fights I think he was actually supposed to fight then, all canceled, like all pulled, like the people pulled out or the the shows get canceled, whatever. But this also shines a light on whoever, whoever those last nine promoters are, are fantastic pieces of shit. Pardon my language and all that, but... Like, I've got people who ask me to do commentary and stuff, and I'll, you know, I'll say, hey, can you pay me? They're like, no, no, no. And then I see the houses they draw, and I'm like, yeah, you can. And I'm not in the cage, man. I'm not in there doing the hard work. Now, if you're an amateur, it's to be expected. It's unfortunate, but he wasn't an amateur. He was a professional MMA fighter, and not just a professional MMA fighter. He was a successful professional MMA fighter in the most exciting division that there is inside the cage often. He's a finisher. Like he's tapping people out with arm locks and leg locks. He's he's knocking people out. He's finishing them with knees, with chokes. He's a guy you put on the show and you know it's going to be an exciting fight. And the Aspera FCs of the world and the smash fights of the world and the people like that aren't paying this guy, then why are you running fucking shows? Why are you running fucking shows if you can't pay your pro fighters? Now, here's where you're going to get. You're going to get some stupid people 
that try to advocate this and say, oh, for the experience and the exposure. The experience and the exposure. No. That's what the amateur ranks are for. That's why you fight as an amateur. You fight as an amateur for experience. You can fight anywhere for exposure. He's fighting the most dangerous division there is. He could step in that cage in Brazil, and just as soon as he won those fights, being that he's a heavyweight, he could have got clipped and and put to sleep. Put to sleep. It is obscene. And I will say this. The promotions that have tried do not pay me. They pay their fighters, so I'm not not shooting on them for that, but you got to do that stuff. You got to pay the people who put in the work. My thing is, I'll never ask somebody to work for free, but if they offer to work for me for free, then I'll, I'll let them. But I'm never asking somebody to. Maybe he offered to work for free. Maybe that was the situation. Uh, I, I hope to talk to him soon. I hope to find out, but that, that was just a heartbreaking story, man. It's like movie-level stuff. He can get paid for nine straight fights. Let's, I know some amateurs who actually make money because in Kentucky, the, the limit they put on there is a reasonable reimbursement for their travel. Well, that's, that's it. There are no real regulations put on it. Not saying this happens, but in Kentucky, you could reasonably stay, say that you need reimbursed for a five-star hotel and a flight from Louisville to Lexington. You could do that. And if an amateur fighter is like a giant draw, one of my trainers, Sean Asher, was a very big draw in our area. He went on to fight, fight in Bellator, but he was a big amateur draw. And he would fill up these arenas. And that's why he just said, I'm going pro. I'm going to make money to do this. I'm going to make them pay me. But there are amateur fighters who have no desire to go pro who can put asses in seats and have cult followings, especially the back in the day. And they could be reasonably reimbursed. You know what I'm saying? Now, I'm not saying that happened around here. I'm just saying, based on what I've talked to, based on the people I've talked to at the Kentucky Boxing, the Kentucky Boxing Commission, whatever the whatever they're called these days, they're having a rough go of it these uh, these days. But yeah, I just thought that that was an an interesting and uh, kind of sad story. He said he's never had more than a hundred bucks to his name. So. No matter how bad you got it sometimes, guys, uh, it, it always could be worse. Keep that sunny disposition. Pepe versus Burgos. I love this fight. Pepe is not good on the feet, and we saw him utilize like the old 2000s thing where he would get kicked and kind of fall to the ground and try to drag Burgos down. It didn't happen. Burgos wears his opponents down, and they usually get tired in the third round. Early, he landed a knee in a, a three-piece dinner, as Snoop Dogg would call it. Burgos would not follow him to the ground. He, he made Pepe play his game, and it, it looked like Pepe stung Bur- Bur- uh, Burgos with, with a pair of jabs, but Burgos hit it really well. So uh, Burgos then made Pepe regret coming inside with some body punches. But Pepe, man, he, he wasn't fainting. He closed his eyes. He planted his feet really hard and wound up. And Burgos could see it coming. Burgos is now 10-0 overall, 3-0 in the UFC, and a 26-year-old kid from the Bronx. He's a guy who 
made another guy who won four of his last five fights look in the first round like he didn't belong in the UFC, but Pepe would later drag Burgos into a brawl, and it was really good. Admire Pepe at some point for just saying to hell with it. Let's get it done. Let's get it rocking. Let's let's make a fight out of this because I don't have much of a chance. Burgos did land a shot to the liver that opened up the head. thought that was really cool. Perez and Wade. Perez is really tough and probably and like hits harder than Wade, but he wasn't able to take over. And uh, both guys are probably fighting for their jobs. And I felt like if Perez lost, he might not fight again because he, he retired at one point. So I, I, you ain't going to see a, a trilogy of this one anywhere because this wasn't that great. Also, uh, not great. Jeremy Kennedy got a win. And uh, Marlon Vera with that submission. Ooh, double damn wrist lock into an arm bar, my friends. That was a beautiful, slick transition. I was a big fan of that one. Obviously, guys, no Showdown Joe here tonight. Uh, he had stuff to do. I will be, or we do a show on Tuesdays called the Holy Smokes MMA Podcast. It is a good time, right in the afternoon, 3 p.m. Eastern every Tuesday. Uh, right after that show, I actually stay in Cincinnati, and then I catch a very early flight to Toronto. I'm going to go to the Fightful.com head offices in Toronto, Canada. Uh, thanks to Jimmy Van for and, and, and the team for bringing me out there. We're going to do a live edition of the List and Your Boy podcast. I'm going to attempt throughout the week to do uh, vlogs like of my experience on the way to Toronto while I'm in Toronto. I'm going to be meeting some other members of the MMA and pro wrestling media, which I'm really looking forward to having dinner with, with some of those guys with James Lynch and Sean Smith and Adam Martin, uh, a few of which you've actually seen here on fightful.com before. And I'm looking forward to seeing Toronto, honestly, uh, funny story about Toronto. Actually, I'll, I'll save it for, for the podcast about, my desires to go to Toronto. Also, we have WWE Battleground coverage tomorrow night and uh, a live podcast afterwards. I want to thank you guys for really supporting us through this first year. It's been awesome. And don't forget, I fly back Saturday. So I figured Jimmy got me like an early morning flight because he said, when, when, do you want, when do you want to go back? And I was like, well, we need to cover UFC. And I was like, you know, I could go to Joe's house or something, but I'd rather do it from the comfort of my own home. So I land at like three something, got to drive back from Cincy and hopefully make it back by the time the UFC 214 prelims start next weekend. And uh, then we're, of course, doing a post-show podcast. Jones Cormier. Let's talk a little bit about this show that's coming up because it is a, a banger. You obviously say it's Jones Cormier. There's a lot of question marks here for me, and we're going to preview this in – Great detail on the Holy Smokes MMA podcast. Daniel Cormier versus John Jones. Now, John Jones has fought once in the last two and a half years. That was against Ovent St. Prue. Now, a lot of people say this about the Ovent St. Prue fight. They're like, well, he should have finished Ovent St. Prue. He didn't look that great. I highly recommend you go back and you watch the John Jones Joe Rogan podcast because the John Joneses of the world, the Conor McGregors of the, of the world, you don't think that they obsess over things like this and technique. And like. The, and there are times when Jones doesn't, like when he shows up out of shape for a, a Gustafson fight and camp. But, yeah, we'll talk about the, the interview as well. 
But he said that Ovent St. Prue was one of his toughest challenges because not even Ovent St. Prue knows what he's going to do next. Like a lot of the best fighters have tendencies and habits and ways that they pull and certain things that they do that they're really good at. Ovent St. Prue doesn't necessarily have that one thing that he can lean on. So he's still kind of raw, even though he's a 34 year old guy was 33 at the time. And Jones said it was really hard to predict what Ovin St. Prue was going to do next because Ovin St. Prue couldn't couldn't predict what he was going to do next. So because of that, it was it was a pretty tall task. And of course, the the cage rust. Daniel Cormier. I thought that if Anthony Rumble Johnson had his head in that fight, that he was going to win that fight. Flat up, and I still think that. I still think if a motivated Anthony Rumble Johnson goes in and fights Daniel Cormier and does it according to the game plan that his team draws up for him, he wins that fight. Anderson Silva, I mean, come on now. There was an Anderson Silva fight. It's, it was a farce. You can say that. A shout out to Anderson Silva for taking the fight, but he was an out-of-shape guy off of like six weeks off of surgery. And even then, when Anderson Silva connected with Cormier, Cormier tried to stand up with him to make it a little bit of, more of a fun fight, to be completely honest. But even then, Cormier was like, I don't want to make a habit of that. I don't want to. I don't want to keep getting hit by this guy. Like he would stand up, then he would get reminded pretty quick. This is Anderson Silva. There was the close fight to Alexander Gustafson, uh, and I, I just don't know. Like Rumble Johnson was taking down Cormier. You think John Jones can't? But that is a question. Do you think that John Jones can't? Because I don't know anymore. I don't know what John Jones looks like anymore. Two and a half years out of the cage. I don't know. That interview was interesting. Cormier is good. That's a guy I wish we could have gotten for a podcast. But MMA guys, they like to do their own pod. Like the the Bispings and the the Cormiers and the Sonnens, who all I would I would like to have. They're they're all doing their own thing. But John Jones was pretty stoic, and he's not he's just not lying anymore. He's like whatever. He's like I'm going to take the party to a place that. Doesn't that TMZ doesn't exist that. <laughs> so good for him. Tyron Woodley versus Damian Maya. This is gonna be a tale of two fights. Like the power of Damian or the power of Tyron Woodley, the wrestling of da- or Tyron Woodley, and the jujitsu of Damian Maya. Damian Maya is a lot like a knuckleballer. A lot like Tim Wakefield. I've said this before. Like he's he could be 45 and he'd still be able to run that game plan. He doesn't get hit, he doesn't hit other people, he doesn't take a lot of damage. He fights his game plan, he does it, and he taps people out or he smothers them. That's it. It's a styles clash. I'm not looking forward to the fight. I'm not. Uh, maybe it'll be great. I doubt it, but not looking forward to it. Cyborg versus Avenger. Now, Cyborg should win this. She really should. But that being said, outside of Marluz Kunin and maybe Daria, maybe Daria, maybe, this is probably the toughest challenge Cyborg has ever faced. Period. Cyborg doesn't fight good fighters. Tanya Evinger is closer to Cyborg's height than you would realize. Um, they have virtually identical reach, but Cyborg should mow down Evinger, but Evinger's going to make it a fight. Evinger's not going to go in there and like curl up and be like, oh, no. Please, no, no. Evinger's uh, going to do her best to make a fight of it. Manoa versus Ozdemir. We know why this fight's there. 
It's there to keep Manoa busy, and it's there in case Cormier or Jones fall out in the next week. Ozdemir, there's there's a lot of unknown in Ozdemir. He's 14 and one. Um, he's not finished any or he's not submitted anybody in in years, but he, as we've seen, is a threat on the feet, even with punches that don't look like they're going to be dangerous. He's he's fought at heavyweight before, so that's something he could he could always go back to if if this doesn't work out. But he's got wins over OSP and Serkinov, and he it's. Out of the frying pan into the fire, or is it the other way? I, I don't know which way it is, but if Manuel wins, he's probably getting the next shot. He should, even though there would be some Gustafson shit kicked up, I'm sure. I'm sure. Cerrone Lawler, if this happens, I will be oh, I will be so happy. But I, I feel like this fight isn't destined to happen. How can you predict this? It's just gonna be a fun fight. Like how can you break it down? I think that the body shots uh, or the, the body kicks of Donald Cerrone could play a factor. But if, if Robbie Lawler implements that into his game plan, that could be too because we've seen that uh, that often Cerrone can be susceptible to those as well. Also on the prelims, you have Ricardo Lamas versus Jason Knight. That's going to be a good fight. Aljamain Sterling and Barrow. Brian Ortega on that those prelims. Andre Feely. You have a women's strawweight fight. And then you have... Josh Berkman getting another fight. I can't believe they gave him another fight. Josh Berkman is like one in – he's got like – he's one in six in the UFC. I can't believe he's getting another fight. Guys, I want to thank you for joining me. Thanks for, for putting up with me and only me for uh, the last however long we've been on the air. I really appreciate it. Uh, I want to – Definitely extend my condolences to Hiromu Takahashi and Los Ingarnobles de Japón in New Japan for the loss of their stuffed cat, Daryl. It is a tragedy. We have a story up on Fightful.com. G1 Climax has some good stuff in it, guys. Uh, We have the post-fight press conference up on Fightful.com. Go check it out, my friends. Subscribe, like, give us a thumbs up. Thank you so much. We're out. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.